did a, you did a great job. I have a, uh, I have a Bing Crosby Christmas CD. I mean, you've got to hear Bing sing White Christmas, don't you? You have to when the season is, is here. And on that CD, one of the things he sings is Faith of Our Fathers. And he's got nothing on our men, I'm telling you, all right? They were incredible. They were just incredible. Thank, thanks, guys. That was a lot of fun. And speaking of Christmas CDs, you perhaps are familiar with a, uh, a Christmas DVD called A Christmas Story. And in the Christmas story, it's about a young boy who gets, his desire for Christmas is to get the Red Ryder BB gun. Now, his father in this movie is profane. He doesn't read very well, we are informed, because when he wins this prize, it comes in a box, box marked fragile, and he reads it as fragile and thinks it's from Italy. He's constantly fighting with the furnace, with the neighbor's dogs, yelling the whole time. And um, he pretty much is the kind of guy you go, yeah, he's just, just a rough, coarse kind of a dude that you go, not anything that you would look up to and go, I want to be that kind of man. But there is one redeeming moment, I think, in the movie about this guy where you see something of his heart that is revealed. See, the little boy throughout the movie, he wants this Red Rider, Red Rider BB gun, and everybody tells him, you'll shoot your eye out, kid. You'll shoot your eye out. Santa Claus even told him that. And so everybody told him he can't have this BB gun. So it came time to be opening Christmas gifts, and there's two things about Dad that I found him redeeming. One, when Aunt Clara sent pink bunny pajamas for Ralphie, uh, Mom made him put the pajamas on. He came down. He looked ridiculous. He didn't want to wear them. And Dad said, do you like wearing that? <laughs> no. Get him off. Okay? And he defended the boy from the mom who was trying to keep him adorable as a little kid. That was number one. Number two, when all the gifts had been opened and, and Ralphie didn't have his gun and they're sitting on a couch, they're just reflecting on Christmas and he, Dad asked, did you get everything you wanted? Well, kind of. And he's trying, to, he's trying to be okay, but you could tell he's really disappointed. And then Dad says, say, what, what, what do I see behind the desk over there? And Mom has no idea what's happening. Some over, what, what is that behind the desk? And so little Ralphie goes behind the desk. And he pulls out a box. It's wrapped. And Dad has placed behind there, without anybody else knowing, a Red Ryder BB gun. Had it wrapped. Had it hidden. Mom's kind of like, what's taking place here? And, and you can see Dad as the kid opens it. And as he does every particular move with it, they, they put the camera on Dad and he's watching and he's wanting to make sure that his son gets it right. And opening the thing up and putting the BBs in. Watch it. They run all over. But he's letting them do it because the kid said he knew how to do this. Closing it up. And dad's hands are doing everything that the boy is doing. And when the mom asked him, kind of like, well, what's up here? He said, I had a BB gun when I was eight years old. And the dad knew that it was time for Ralphie to have a BB gun. That he had come to a point where he needs to take on something more. He knew that it was a time when he could no longer let mom's protective spirit 
define what was going to happen with that boy, but it was time for that little boy to start doing man things. Get out of the pink pajamas and get a BB gun in your hands. It was time. I'd like to approach what we're dealing with here in Hebrews chapter 6, at least just for this morning. I'd like us to think in these terms. Because I find myself asking the question, why didn't God do this immediately? Hebrews 6, halfway through, to Hebrews 10, halfway through, we have this constant comparison and contrasting with the earthly tabernacle, which was given to the people of Israel way back in the book of Exodus. And they were told, you have to make this precisely according to this pattern that I'm showing you. And Hebrews is letting us know that pattern is the real tabernacle that is in heaven, where the real work that God is going to do takes place. But for 14 centuries... They operated with this, with this one that was made by man's hands. Eventually, once they were settled in the land, they went from this movable tabernacle to a permanent structure called the temple, based upon the same pattern, though, of what the tabernacle was. And then there came a time when it was the right time. I view it this way. That God looked down on mankind and said, mankind is now ready. It's time for mankind to go to that next place, that next understanding that I need to reveal to them. And he does so by sending the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, in Galatians chapter 4, relative to this, Paul writes in chapter 4, verse 4, But when, when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. When the time was right, God brought into being all this stuff that Hebrews, for four chapters, is describing for us. This contrast that the old tabernacle is passing away. And the new tabernacle now is what is significant. And so as we look at Hebrews, this long chapter, we're just going to be able to highlight a couple of things here. I'd like us first to know simply this, that Christ entered a better tabernacle. But Christ came as high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation. Now, first thing I just want us to note is the time sequence. I want us to note that, that Christ became the high priest of the good things to come, where in the previous verses, in verse 9, it said it was symbolic. That previous tabernacle was symbolic for the present time, for that time. It was symbolic of something, of what, what was going to come. But now it's time. And Christ came as the high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle. What makes it more perfect? It was the one made without hands. It is the one in the heavenlies. It is the one where the real work that we will see takes place. So Christ entered a better tabernacle, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes, the, the ashes of a heifer sprinkling of the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, 
who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Christ entered a better tabernacle, yielding better results. We've referenced it a number of times now that earlier in the chapter, it was symbolic for the present time. I say a number of times in previous weeks. There was that present time. There was that old tabernacle. There was old thing that was happening for many, many centuries. But that was for its time in which it was telling a story. It was telling a story that said the way into the Holy of Holies is not yet made open. Which is why the high priest could get as close to the outside and then only once a year could go inside to put blood in the proper places just to cover uh, what needed to happen for the people's sins, but the way into the presence of God not yet is, has been made open. So it was symbolic for that present time, that temporary thing. But as we read on here now, we find out that there was an eternal redemption in verse 12, offer, that Christ offered through the eternal spirit in verse 14, and that, that those who may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. It is no longer something that happens just for this time frame. There are better results here. It's not just a, a simple covering of things until they're really dealt with. Something actually is happening here, and it is eternal as opposed to present for a certain time. So the first results are eternal results. The second results are internal results. Because looking back at that first one, it said that it was present for that time, which cannot make him who performed the service, the service perfect in regard to the conscience, concerned only with foods and drinks, various washings and fleshly ordinances imposed until the time of Reformation. We keep getting this time element, but what, what exactly is the writer saying? The writer is saying is that it was very limited in what it could produce. It just did this outward cleansing. All of these things that the priests were doing, the large bevy of, of priests and then the high priest, they were all this external thing that was going on, all of these cleansings, all to uh, stay obedient to the Lord until that time when something special happens. And what is it that happens? As we get down to verses 13, we say, For if the blood of bulls and goats, the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, that's the old, that it just cleansed the outside, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works? Verse 9 specifically said it can't do anything in regard to the conscience. It doesn't really solve anything. But cleansing the conscience from dead works, there's an internal thing that begins to happen. And we need to understand that, friends, at the very heart of the gospel is this idea that God makes something new happening. That if we have responded in faith, in truth to the gospel, God has begun a work by his spirit that will transform us into Christ's likeness. And here, part of that is that it will cleanse our conscience from dead works. You see, men... You can see it in any culture. Men are always going to go do something because we're, we're spiritual. We have a consciousness that of good and evil and, and that God or something is out there. So men do things 
in order to appease that, in order to satisfy among ourselves, we do things to make us feel good about our our own religiousness, if you will. Many cultures express it in many, many different ways. But we do. We do these religious things so we can feel good. But they happen with no internal transformation. And they can be, they're of no real value for us. I, I ask God's forgiveness ahead of time if I've misread what I experienced, which I will share with you. Years ago, um, after I gave up working in the alcohol industry, spent five and a half years in the alcohol industry, my last job was there was to work on a beer truck, delivered beer to places. By the way, somebody picked up when I mentioned this once before that I was an alcoholic. I, mean, I don't care that you think I was an alcoholic. That's not the case. But I was in the industry for five and a half years. And I was ready to get out. Best summer job I ever had. Was making about $250 a week. This is the early 70s, okay? Driving on a beer truck. That was great money back then, I'm telling you. That was good money for a summer job. Then I took another job. I wanted to get out of that industry. I just didn't sense that I could do that as I was growing in the Lord. And uh, wanted to get out of the industry. So the next summer, I delivered auto parts. Made $87.50 a week. And worked longer hours. And was glad to do it. Because I was done with that first industry. The small business that I worked for, at one point, I was delivering auto parts. They had a friend needed to be taken from one part of town to the other part of town. And uh, he's a man significantly older than me at the time. And... um, Clearly, it didn't take long to have him in the vehicle. He, he himself was quite vulgar in his language and what he wanted to talk about and how he viewed the world. So I was trying to see, well, Lord, is there a chance here that we can share something of value with this man's life? So I begin to talk about a relationship with Christ. I don't recall how I approached it, but definitely went, tried to move the conversation in that way, test the waters, and immediately, here's what I learned he was, once I started talking about God's work, he immediately told me how he personally had paid for the cross that's in the front of his church. Wow. He was proud to be able to say he personally paid for the cross in the front of his church when I brought up the whole God thing. May God forgive me, but I, did, I sensed nothing in his spirit that a conscience had been changed, that, there were, that, that he was serving the living God. To me, that epitomizes dead works. And that is, he's able, to, he's able to satisfy his conscience that I gave the cross to my church. I go out whatever Sundays I choose to be there. I can go in there. I can see that cross. I, I did that. But God's calling us to something other than dead works, to religion, to just doing it because we feel good about it or we think we're going to earn browning points with God. God's calling us into a relationship where we serve the living God and we yield ourselves to his work in our lives and we answer his call to service. It's not, I don't mean vocationally, I mean to every day. How does he call us to serve? How does he call us to be engaged? It's something different than simply religious works. So Christ entered a better tabernacle, yielding better results. They were eternal and they were internal. And he did this through a better sacrifice. As we read, verses 16 on, just discussed the question of death 
and how death, you know, you know, you'd write a last will and testament um, until you die, that has no effect. It just kind of sits there. And he say, you know what, the, uh, the one who dies, Christ died to fulfill the covenant through his death. And as such, also, because this thing on earth needs to follow what Christ would do, there was the death of the animals, and there was this cleansing and all of that. But if we'll jump down to verse 23... We get closer to where we'll want to be. Therefore, it was necessary that the copies of the things in heaven should be purified with these, that is, with blood, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has not entered the holy places made with hands, the earthly tabernacle, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Not that he should offer himself often as the high priest enters the most holy place every year with the blood of another. He then would have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world, but now once at the end of the ages he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And it is appointed for men to die once, but after this judgment so Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. He offered a better sacrifice. There were sacrifices in the old tabernacle system. Just that when Christ came, he offered a better sacrifice. Those were pictures of what he would do. He came and did it. And it says that he entered the Holy of Holies in heaven. Remember what we had read earlier. I'm not going to go back to it, but it said the symbolism was that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made uh, open while that former tabernacle stood. The high priest could only go so far. And then when he did go in, he had to do all these washings, put a little blood on the mercy seat, and get out. After he'd put the blood on the mercy seat, he's out. Because ultimately the way hasn't been made open. But Christ entered the Holy of Holies. And notice what it says. And he appears in the presence of God for us. Now how cool is that? That he is there for us. 1 John chapter 2, John writes relative to this, I believe, this understanding. In 1 John chapter 2, when he says this, he, he writes, My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is in God's presence, appearing for us. The high priest couldn't do that. The high priest could only stay here down on earth and put a little blood on there and get out before he broke any rules that God would take his life from him. It's a better sacrifice. And notice, it's repeated here, that as the high priest once every year, so year after year after year, whoever was high priest had to go in and do the ministration of putting the blood on the mercy seat where God said, I will meet with you there that Christ only once made any sacrifice because it was a better sacrifice. You see, the high priest went in with the blood of others, it says. That is the animals. But Christ went in with his own spotless blood. And he went in and he only needed to go in one time because it was the better sacrifice. It was the perfect sacrifice. It was the ultimate sacrifice. And it was the sacrifice that could actually accomplish something. He was able to, it says, put away sin. 
And so what we see here, friends, as we contrast it, because that's what we're doing. There came this time. There came this time when God knew it's time. It's time for mankind History has been moving along, and I've revealed this much of my redemptive plan by showing them this picture through the Israelites of this earthly tabernacle. For, for 14, 15 centuries, it's been available for them to understand and study and see what I'm going to do. But now the time has come that mankind needs to see me do it. And he did it in the person of Jesus Christ. And whereas verses 7 and 8 said the Holy Spirit was indicating that the holiest of all was not yet made manifest, now Christ has gone into the holiest of all. He's there on our behalf. He has made a way. It is the most magnificent truth, eternal truth, necessary truth that we all need to understand. And he only did it once because once was enough when he offered his perfect blood before the Father. That blood which was able to pay the penalty for the sin for every one of us who have ever or will ever walk the face of the earth. What a magnificent, magnificent truth. I want to come back to that whole concept of little Ralphie. Make sure we're getting it. When his dad said, I got my rifle, when, my first BB gun when I was eight years old. He's ready. It's time. I hope we're catching what I'm trying to say here is God dealt with mankind and he was laying out his redemptive plan through the centuries and then he said, it's time. It's time that they understand this now. God sent forth his son, born of a virgin, born under the law, to redeem those that were under the law. The time came. So that's on a large mankind perspective. It's true, and we all need to understand it. But what I would like to take it, just if I can, one step further, in understanding that concept of time and how God worked with all of mankind, I'd like to bring it down a little bit more personal. And if you will allow me, dads, I'd like to talk with each of us for just a minute. Because although God did this for mankind as a whole. God deals with us personally as individuals, men. And God works and makes himself available to work in our lives. If we will hear that, if we are willing to receive it, if we are open to letting him transform us and actually do something so that we don't just come to church and when I can check that off, so I went to church this week, I'm a good person. No, that when we are in church, when we're among God's people, when we're in his word on our own, it isn't just a matter of saying, did that, okay, got that obligation done. God, you got to like me now. It's like, that's not what he's about. But it's about us being actually transformed, guys. And so the first question any of us need to ask, answer as, dad, as dads is, hey, do I get this? Have I come to that place where I recognize I've got to be done with dead religious works and I've got to know Christ personally? I have to receive personally this, this whole eternal thing that is going on that God has been revealing literally for millennia now. He's been making it now. First of all, have I engaged in that? And if not, it could be that what God is saying to us right now, man, he's saying to us, now is the time. Ralphie got his gun, and I'm telling you, 
Now's the time for you to get some salvation, for a transformation to begin to happen, for you to let me do a work in your life. Now's the time I'm calling you. And man, if that's happening, don't resist that. Receive that because it is God's good work in our life. And, and you know why we're resistant to it? We're resistant to it because, one, we want to do it our own way, and, two, we're just afraid. We're afraid of what the impact of that will be if I yield my life to Christ. I'm just going to tell you my experience in walking with Jesus Christ is that all these edges where he has needed to change me, and there's plenty that are still there, trust me, and I think I understand what he's working on with me right now. But each one comes in its own time. It's not as if we come to Christ now and all of a sudden we become this perfect man. Not happening. But he transforms us and he brings us to these growth edges and he reveals them to us. And I can say it only this way. God's work in my life has been nothing but gracious. That's been my experience. He's been gracious and he has been kind. And he has kept pushing me to grow and to become more like Christ. So that's at the personal level, guys. We've got to have that. Now, you know why we need to have it? Not only so that you and I can enter into that eternal redemption and receive that eternal inheritance. Do you know why, guys, as dads, we need to do this? Because <laughs> there's some young kids coming behind us. And they are looking to us for their understanding of life and the world around them. And to answer questions about who God is. We don't have to all be theologians. But here is one thing that we can know it's time to pass on to our kids. Here's what I mean by that. This parenting thing, there's all sorts of places we wonder if it's time for this, right? Like Ralphie and his gun. We all did it, didn't we? We all have done that. My son has already purchased a little single shot 22 for his boys. He's, done, uh, he's the gun guy in the family. I thought it was a little early, but he's got to make his decisions, okay? We've done it in that area. Machinery. Those of you who farm or work around heavy machinery, you know. You don't put a four-year-old out by a spinning shaft <laughs> and tell him to shovel grain. You go, no, not ready. You decide. You watch. You see how mature he is. When is he ready for this? Driving. When are they ready to start moving equipment between fields? And if we're not into farming, then, you know, it's kind of like, well, maybe we're going to take a few liberties here, but when are they ready to actually manage being behind the wheel of a vehicle? We make some decisions, don't we, about timing. Dating. We are, this is this gray area. If, our, if we're going to allow our kids to date at all. You were raised in my family. It was clear from the time you were a little kid. You will not date before you're 16. Does not matter. Some of you will say that was much too early. Others of you say, you waited that long? I understand that because we're all trying to figure that out, aren't we? We're all trying to understand that. Well, dads, here's the cool thing. Now, today, right now, we can begin imparting this eternal truth to our kids. I don't care if there's 3, 5, 7, 10, 12, 15. I don't care where they're at, what their age is. Because they need to hear it right now. Where our task is, is learning how to communicate it at their age level. But they need us as dads to be engaged. They need to know this matters to us. And it's transforming our lives. So that they will want to embrace it themselves. And they will receive it so willingly from your hands. But if you let them go out on their own. And you let the world speak into their lives. 
confuse a lot of things and then say, well, you'll find it out on your own one day. Uh, Dads, it's not how it works. God's calling us to speak truth into the lives of our kids. And the father in the movie, he got his first gun at eight years old and he made sure Ralphie got his then. What I'm trying to suggest is I don't care what the age of your kids is. For this truth, it starts today. We need to be sharing it with our children. Thank you, Lord, for the men who are here, for the fathers who are taking up their task of fatherhood seriously. If there's any dad here, Lord, this morning who has never personally received Christ, put their faith in him. They're still involved with what they think are good works, but they're religious and they're dead. Father, I pray today that they will begin a vibrant experience with Christ, a new relationship, a new life, as they call out to him and say, Lord Jesus, I need your work in my life. You died on my behalf as this scripture has revealed, and I receive you now. I put my faith in you and ask you to change me. And Father, for all dads who are at that place that they have met Christ personally, I pray you give us wisdom regardless of our age, regardless of the age of our children or our grandchildren. Give us wisdom how to speak your truth into their lives, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen.